Of course, game seven between the Nuggets and Jazz was going to come down to the final shot. We've got the recap for you. And who should be the head coach for the Brooklyn Nets moving forward? Plus, it's another game seven between the Thunder and the Rockets. We're going to preview that one for you. Big night in the association. It's the Wednesday edition of Locked On NBA. Let's do this. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of Locked On NBA, the daily podcast covering everything you want to know about the league. On Wednesdays, I'm your co-host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter and the host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. Hey, everyone. I'm Brene Washington here, host of Locked On Wizards. I am not John, but I am filling in for John today on Locked On NBA here. John was a little busy with the Boston Celtics <laughs> playing last night, so we're, we're going to give him the, the day off here. Um, and so don't forget, subscribe to Locked On NBA wherever you get your podcast from here Monday through Friday for you, basically just breaking down the biggest news around the league. And there's a lot right now. It was a fun night of action in the league. We can start with John's Boston Celtics, 102-99 over the Toronto Raptors. This was like a back-and-forth game. There were a ton of ties in this one, a ton of lead changes in this one. And then in the fourth quarter, the Celtics just got some incredible performances. Marcus Smart, five threes in this one. Kemba Walker with the unbelievable ankle-breaking step back to hit a clutch jumper. This was a fun game overall. The, the uh, Raptors looked much more competitive than game one. Yeah, and after shooting less than 40% in game one, just struggling to knock down shots from the field, you know, you had a feeling the Raptors were going to come back a lot differently in, in their play and being more aggressive, and that's what they did. You know, overall, I think it was a much better game for them, but the hard part is after dropping game one, you're now going into – Game three, down 0-2. So the defending champs have to figure out a way to get a win. And unfortunately, you are playing a team that I've actually been, been keeping an eye on as my favorite to come out of the East because of their depth, their versatility. And as we saw, even down the stretch, Marcus Smart, for instance, a great example of that. Just how many players on this Boston roster can step up and make big plays? And the Raptors had their hands full. I mean, Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet struggling offensively a little more than usual. And they're really being tested. And right now, the Celtics have their number. I mean, they're, they're making them work on both ends of the floor. And to see them take this commanding to a lead, although it was a great game, but you just felt like the Raptors were just not, you know, struggling to get over the hump. And I think yeah, it, that it's going to be tough for them moving forward, but they've got to win the next one. You can't, if you go down 3-0, that's, that's serious. It's, that's pretty much going to do it. They went down 0-2 to the Bucks last year and managed to come back and beat it. But this feels like you don't have Kawhi Leonard this time to really help mm -hmm. you get out of some different. of that. Yeah, a little bit different there when you don't have him. <laughs> Jalen, uh, Jason Tatum was just magnificent on both ends of the court. 34 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists, 14 of 14 shooting after the game. Nick Nurse said, kind of hinted at the refs taking care of mm -hmm. uh, Jason Tatum. He had... Uh, 14 free throws in this. The Raptors total had 19. He's going to get fined for this. Jalen Brown, kind of a quiet 16-8 uh, from him. And yeah, that was kind of going to do it. And 
Raptors need to figure this one out when, like you said, because otherwise if they lose the next game, they are going to probably bow out of this series. The final game yeah. of the night, game seven, though, between the Utah Jazz and the Denver Nuggets was this was what we expected, right? Game seven, you're gonna get you've had both Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell dueling in this one. We thought it would maybe come down to the last shot, maybe just not with a final score of 80 to 78. <laughs> Not at all. Not with the way that these last games have been. They've been a shootout. And honestly, this is such a low-scoring game. And to see that it was more on the defensive side. And and honestly, both teams had good looks. They weren't missing bad they opportunities. They gassed, had some right? really good looks. They were just gassed. And it looked – this is a game seven. This is a true game seven, especially with two teams that, you know, haven't really been in this position as much. And so you see this is the future, honestly. In my opinion, I feel like I feel like we were just watching between Donovan Mitchell, Jamal Murray, their incredible performances throughout the seven games. You saw last game in the post-game interview, Jamal Murray, very emotional, very exhausted. Of course, emotional as well, just talking around his sneakers with Brianna Taylor and George Floyd on them, but also just gassed after his 50-game performance to literally will them into a game seven. And then you saw even Donovan Mitchell's face of exasperation in his press conference after game six, knowing that, they should have taken care of business because once you get to game seven, it's anyone's game. So it's just all of these emotional roller coaster games we saw leading up to the, the game seven. I wasn't surprised by that, but I was, as you mentioned, with that low scoring game, 80 to 78, was not expecting that whatsoever. But the final 16 seconds just summed up the entire series oh, for me. Oh, man. <laughs> it was fun. Like that, This one literally Ooh, came down my, to the final yes. shot, and I thought Mike Conley was going to get in it. So he got the final ball. He got the final shot after Donovan Mitchell had a turnover. So the final couple of possessions were, were kind of interesting. They denied Don, the, the Nuggets when it's like five, whatever the time left was there. I'm still like wrapped up in the moment. They have a, a time a foul given a timeout to call. So they deny Donovan Mitchell the ball. Mm -hmm. It forced the Nuggets to call a timeout. They've got to then inbound it. Donovan Mitchell gets it back, but then driving to the rim, gets the ball poked out by um, Jamal, not Jamal Murray. It was um, uh, Gary Harris, pokes the ball out. They go down the court, miss the layup. Rudy Gobert rebounds, tosses the ball down to Mike Conley. He's got a 3 2 uh, win the game, and it goes like halfway in before coming out. It was kind of a thrilling end here. This one, the, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say the craziest part about all that is just all the areas that those final 16 seconds, and even back backing up to the plays leading up to that, that could have gone differently. That this game could have gone either way. I mean, I look at that drive by Donovan Mitchell, and he's just looking to tie the game up at that point as he's getting yep. to the basket, and. You know, you just see it remind me of the play that Giannis Antetokounmpo had in uh, Monday night's game that would have been that at the final, you know, at the end of the heat actually had the exact same play where they knocked the ball out as he was driving to the basket. I was like, deja vu. It looks the exact same. But then on the other end, as you mentioned, Denver still had a chance to make it a four-point game and really seal the deal. Missed a layup that honestly just like rolled in and rolled out. And Mike Conley had a great look. But even Donovan Mitchell was on the other side, hands up, calling for where, yep. I mean, there wasn't enough time to get the ball to him, but it's just so many things that could have gone differently. But that is exactly what made this series tough. It was my favorite to watch by far, but I did not want it to end. I'm sure they physically were ready for it to end mentally, but that was just some exciting basketball to watch for both teams. It was, it was incredible. If this series could have ended in a tie, that's like the fairest thing because both teams <laughs> have just been, been phenomenal in this. So if you had told me it was going to be 80 to 78, I would have just assumed that's what like Jamal Murray scored and then that's what Donovan Mitchell scored. Basically. But they weren't like, they weren't the stories of this one in a weird way. 
the Jazz got off to a really slow start in the first half and, and were struggling, and they were down by as many, I think, as 19 in this one. And then in the second half, Rudy Gobert remembered he's a really good basketball player and completely turned this game around. It wasn't so much Donovan Mitchell. He only had 22 points on the night on 9 of 22 shooting. But Rudy Gobert started doing everything you would want from him in the second half, making big shots, playing defense, setting good screens, higher screens too, which sprung Donovan Mitchell a little bit and allowed him to get going after a quiet first half. And then for the Denver Nuggets, Jamal Murray went a long stretch without scoring, and it was Nikola Jokic coming up and scoring 30 points in this one, hitting threes, hitting that weird, ugly hook shot he had down low late in the game. That was a big one. You know, it, it didn't come down to the duel that we were thinking, but just more two team games, I thought. That was pretty fun. Yeah. This was just like a fun series. Game sevens and everything that goes into them is just awesome. Yeah, and I, I think that a big part of that really just comes down to the fact that Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell literally, I'm not saying they carried their teams, but if you look at the numbers they were putting up each they night, did. they were going I to hit a wall. To they, they did. Yeah, they absolutely did. And so this <laughs> game in itself, it was time for someone else to step up and lead. It was time for someone else. I mean, from game one with Donovan Mitchell's 57 to game six with Jamal Murray's 50, they were dropping 50 game point, you know, performances like it was nothing. Everything they were shooting was going in. Everything they were touching was turning into something. So it was really a battle. And, and like you mentioned, that in this game, Jake, it was more about what the other players were going to do. And it yeah. was who, whoever was going to step up more was going to win the game. And Rudy Gobert, tremendous performance by him. I mean, he finished with 19 points, 18 rebounds. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, Nikola Jokic also was a big part in, in leading Denver. I mean, that's what it came down to. It was now a matchup between those two more and more of an inside game um, in that sense because the two stars had hit a wall. So, you know, I think this is, as you mentioned, a series. I know I did not want it to end, and I, I feel – I felt the emotion when Donovan Mitchell hit the floor as soon as the buzzer rang and time expired and was just laying there. And I was like, I wanted to do the same. Like, <laughs> I feel tired too. just watching you. I feel spent and I feel torn because I'm excited. I was excited, but I was like, gosh, I actually like stood there with my hands on my head. Like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? And <laughs> I don't have a horse in this race at all, but it was just that exciting throughout each game that as the time went out, like you felt the emotion you felt the, you know, all, all that these players had put into it. So hats off to both teams. And now we get to move on to see, you know, exactly how Denver's going to pan out in round two versus the Clippers. Yep. This was so they, uh, also Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray had a really nice embrace. You mentioned Mitchell on the ground, oh, yes. just so upset, filled with emotion. And Jamal Murray immediately comes over to embrace him. They had a nice hug and just a nice moment. It's cool seeing the respect those two have for each other after a tremendous series from both of them. But guess what? We also get another Game 7. We're going to yeah. talk about that one in the third segment coming up here in just a minute. But first, the Brooklyn Nets, I've, I've got a question for you that I'm going to be curious to hear your answer on, and we're going to talk about that coming up here in the next segment of Locked on NBA. Don't forget to subscribe to Locked on NBA wherever you get your podcast from. Here Monday through Friday for you all, breaking down the biggest stories league-wide, recapping the games the night before, giving you the uh, analysis that you want. So subscribe to Locked on NBA wherever you get your podcast from. So Renee, I'm, my team, the Pelicans, are going through a bit of a coaching search. They're going to be targeting a lot of like assistant coaches, things like that. We saw that the Chicago Bulls have been granted permission to interview with a number of the top assistants, still in the bubble and outside of the bubble. But there's another coaching opening in the Brooklyn Nets that is interesting because 
you have it feels like it's a good time to try and hire a head coach. You've got guys like Darvin Ham of the Milwaukee Bucks, Dan Craig of the Miami Heat, these young guys that feel like almost game changers for a franchise. But is that the right type of coach for the Brooklyn Nets, given that they've got Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, or do they need a more uh, seasoned person at the helm? Mm, that's a good question. And first off, you know, it is by no surprise for some of these coaching changes that we've seen, but some actually have really caught me off guard, especially like Nate McMillan with the Pacers. Um, you know, there's just some yeah. changes that Brett Brown with the Sixers is one that I knew was going to happen after seven years of that team, not really reaching and, and underperforming and not really reaching what they should have. But for the Nets specifically, this is a difficult situation because, and I know we'll get into deeper discussions around the candidates, especially someone like Greg Popovich, whose name has come up. This is a team that is going to be completely different than what we saw this past season. And now, as someone that works with Locked on Wizards, I'm also saying the same thing for the Wizards, but it's a definite, it's a guarantee around the Nets as well. Looking at where, where, they, where they were last year, where they were in the restart, where they will be next year. So in terms of a coach to bring in, you have to be mindful of the fact you're bringing two superstars into, into this team that are going to be hopefully healthy 100%, but are going to need a different type of coach. You know, when you look at what the best coaches are able to do in the league and the most successful coaches, Brad Stevens, Eric Spolstra, um, Pop, of course, you look at what the most successful coaches are doing, it's really just feeding off of your all-stars. So if you're someone like Doc Rivers and you have a Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, it's a little different than coaching a group that maybe has a lot of younger players that are still trying to figure out their way in the league. So those established all-star caliber players, now I'm not saying you don't coach them, but you just coach them differently. Yeah, the way you're entirely. pushing them, the way you're leading. So, you know, I think that you do need someone that's more seasoned because they are seasoned. And to bring in a coach that doesn't have the experience or if they're not as seasoned, they have to have the right approach and mentality and be someone that's going to understand how to read the room and how to figure out what best motivates the team and gets them going. So in terms of who makes the best fit, there's a number of names that have been coming up. Um, of course, Pop makes the best sense, the most sense anywhere. I think, but, I think, um, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, that, that's any coaching that's opening. Like, any anywhere team. in the world, if you want to yeah. be an NFL team, yeah, sure, hire Popovich, <laughs> and I'd probably get on board with it, too. I think if you are a, um, like, men's intramural rec team that's trying to make it into the NBA, hire <laughs> Pop, and he'll get you there. Yeah, um, there but you now, <laughs> you know, I, I do just think it's a matter of finding which piece makes the most sense and, and really figuring out and taking time to do that. You know, there's a really – maybe there feels like there's a rush, but I don't think there's as much of a rush. You know, right now for the Nets, they're coming off the restart. Take time to really hire or interview to make sure you're hiring the right person, man or woman. It's <laughs> uh, no, I think that's fair too. And there's the, like uh, someone like Becky Hammond's going to be Bingo. in discussion for a lot of these. And like she, I think all of us agree without a doubt, she's going to be the first uh, female head coach in the league, and she should be. And um, I've seen her name come up in other things too. It's I think this is uh, this is weird because you look at teams like the Pelicans, the Pacers, the Bulls, some of these other openings, and it's like yeah, hire an assistant that brings in like new energy, new ideas, and maybe kind of adds a bit of like revolution to a degree to your franchise. I just don't know if that's what the Nets should do. Like to me, this just seems like how, how have they not hired Tyron Lou yet for this job? Because you've seen Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, maybe not buy into other coaches as much as they should have before, if they don't have like the proper level of respect. And I wonder if an assistant, you know, a former assistant stepping in, even if they've had success is going to command the respect of the room, read the room, like you said, and have that experience of managing these two superstars 
And when you're a head coach on a team that's going to be a title contender, that's probably more important than X's and O's, I think, than player development too, is getting just a guy that can reach them and get their buy-in. And it seems like as good of a job as that can be, that's kind of a scary task to some degree, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, you now, again, you're not coming to a team that's rebuilding. Now, the Nets are not rebuilding because it's the pieces are there. They just were not fully healthy. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's different. So you're not when you're coming into a team, if they're rebuilding versus if you're just trying to help them turn a corner. Like I look at the Pelicans, the Pacers, they're all in similar boats where they're an up and coming team. They've got the pieces there. It's just now a matter of fine tuning some things so that they can be a team that's a well, the Pacers were in the playoffs, but be a playoff contender that's able to make a, a stretch to, to not get swept in the first round. Teams, <laughs> exactly. <right? laughs> to maybe not get swept in the first round. Um, so that's more a matter of, okay, we've got the foundation. Let's, let's build off of that. Some other teams, um, maybe more of a rebuild. The Sixers are more of a build. You know, they've got the pieces there. Yeah. It's just not working. Yeah. They're so similar the- in that boat too, right? To just right, kind like of I'd manage the people category. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think it's, I think just the nets are such a, like these, this is not normally the type of head coaching opening that you see and situation for someone to step in that I, I don't know. Like it, it seems like it should be a no brainer to me that it's Lou, but I can see them going in different directions. The whole thing's just kind of strange. I thought I was thinking about this today as we've seen that the Chicago bulls are going to start their interview process, which likely speeds up other teams to some degree, but I'm with you. I don't think there's a big rush, but doesn't seem like those are the people the Nets should be targeting. So I was curious to get your take on that. Uh, and we'll yeah. see. Like the coaching carousel is just getting started with everything. But biggest story of today for when people are listening is it's a game seven. We love game sevens. We just talked about one. We're going to preview the one coming up tonight between the Houston Rockets, the Oklahoma City Thunder coming up here in just a minute. But before we do that, today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. Simply put, Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. The biggest recommendation I can give you all about this is I spend my own money on buying these. I I eat one for lunch every day after a workout because they basically just taste like a candy bar. They're covered in 100% real chocolate. They're soft. They're easy to chew. You're not even going to realize you're eating a protein bar. You don't need to grab a bottle of water and just chug it down because what you were eating before is chalky and dry. These things have unbelievable flavors. Cookies and cream, caramel brownie, lemon almond cheesecake. They just redid the formula so that they're even better as well. So if you're just looking for something that's low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high in fiber and great for the keto diet, just go with Built Bar. They're going to be the best tasting protein bar you've ever had. 19 grams of protein and 180 calories or 17 grams of protein and just 130 calories. And if you've ever ordered Built Bars using the Locked On promo code before, they've reset it with the relaunch, the new formula, the new branding. So you can use it again. And now they're going to even throw in a free cooler with purchase. Just go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code Locked On, and you'll get $10 off your next order. Again, that's promo code Locked On for $10 off over at BuiltBar.com. All right, game seven tonight, do or die. It's like literally win or go home, win or get kicked <laughs> out of the bubble and like pack your bags. It's which like I a think gauntlet. Be, right? Like, it, isn't that a little bit scarier when it's like, oh, I've got to like pack up and leave and get out of here? Yeah, it's giving me vibes of like those MTV shows I used to watch growing up, like the challenge, the gauntlet shows where they were like, <laughs> exactly. everybody's on an island and if you lose, you go home. Oh, yeah, it's, it's intense, it's- but I love it. <laughs> I, I can tell, I, I've seen other people say this too, but I would love it if it's like a game seven and you had like the luggage behind the bench and just be like the second you <laughs> are, you lose, like you're out, like shower and get on the plane and like leave the bubble. I don't know. It'd add a little bit of drama to it. If, Why if, not? Like, Why not? You know, it's a game seven. Maybe you don't need it any more than what it already is, but 
this is going to be a fun game tonight. Game six was something for the Oklahoma City Thunder, basically just willed to the finish line by Chris Paul, him being excellent in the fourth quarter. The Rockets not executing nearly as well. What do you, what do you see happening in this game tonight? Like, how does each team win? Ooh, well, you know, I, I, know, I, I threw, cannot, I threw a lot at, at you. Yeah, there. this is definitely the game to watch. I mean, this series yeah. is everything I anticipated it to be and more. You know, I I just love the rivalries and the storylines and the fact that Chris oh, Paul. Oh, there's a ton. To, oh, it's just the, the, the relationships and, and everything that is there is just incredible that you could not have drawn this any better for a first series matchup. You know, I think the biggest thing that I always go back to for the Rockets is they always find a way to fall short. And in the past, I remember it was, you know, when Chris Paul got injured with the Rockets and they lost to the, to the Warriors. That was yep. a couple playoff uh, playoff Two series ago, a couple yeah. of trips around the, the moon ago, um, or the sun ago, excuse me, get my science correct. But, you know, it's just there's always something that goes wrong with the Rockets, an injury, or they just yeah. down, the, <laughs> down the stretch, they cannot figure out how to get on the same page. And we saw it in game six with those turnovers late, especially yeah. Russell Westbrook's miscue and his poor pass it to was, it was Robert brutal. Covington. I mean, they have moments where they can just end the series win it all, and they always manage to keep their opponents and just string them along. And so I think for me, I want to lean, toward, lean towards the Thunder actually winning this. You know, I'm really not sure, to be honest, because I, I just know Chris Paul is someone that if he's healthy, if he's on the floor, as we saw him, Dennis Schroeder's playing out of his mind, which he's got the post-baby glow that players often do in the playoffs. Oh, man. You've always got to do like, that now, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a thing. It's a thing now. <laughs> Oh, yeah, right? Scheduled to have a baby around the playoffs. Why not? Um, but, yep. I mean, he's playing out of his mind. And then I just think that the Rockets are, as a whole, playing too emotional. P.J. Tucker, to me, is like between the ejection, the, getting ejected with Dennis Schroeder for that whole craziness, to this yeah. last game, he's all over the floor. He brings They bring that, like, bully ball, yes, but it can't be too far to the point that it's keeping them from doing what they're supposed to do on the floor. Like, it's one thing if it's distracting the opponent but in my opinion it's now affecting the Rockets because it's more focused on you're all over the you can't play basketball on the floor you can't play with your all in the referees faces or whatever else and I think they're just too emotional right now whereas I feel like the Thunder are very level-headed they've got a chip on their shoulder and they're just ready to just you know Chris Paul is literally leading this team like we saw him in the huddles of game six leading greatness that he has and that he showed in game six basically just being a, the general of the team, both offensively and defensively, just telling everyone where to go, what to do, and making sure they were prepared. It's kind of like mm -hmm. what you said, and I think you bring up a good point with some of the them maybe being a little bit too emotional. And look, the Rockets have so much more riding on this game than the Oklahoma City Thunder do. It's almost like the Thunder are playing with house money to some degree. D'Antoni's probably gone if they lose if the Rockets lose this. There's oh, probably yeah. some roster overhaul to a significant degree. If the Rockets lose this, there's a lot at stake for them here. And maybe that gets into their heads and you don't execute nearly as well as you should. Turnovers are key. You mentioned that one with Russell Westbrook, which basically cost him the game to some degree the other night. But here's the, mm -hmm. here's the stat that I saw. It's when the Rockets have 14 or more turnovers in this series, they're 0-3. When it's 14 or less, they're 3-0. and They've just got to take care of the ball. 22 in game six. And if they're not mentally there or there's things that are 
in their head to some degree, yeah, that maybe makes you more prone to a turnover here or there, and one or two might do it in this game. And that's what's going to cause them to lose potentially. And that's not something that they can afford when you're going up against Chris Paul, who knows exactly what's going on every single time up and down the court. And yeah, it's I, I'm just unbelievably excited for this game. This is going to be so much fun to watch tonight. Yeah, I mean, I think as you're, you're talking around the number of turnovers and just how much that plays a role on, you know, the Rockets outcome. I do also think just a part of that is the leadership. And that's partly why Mike D'Antoni's job is on the line here. I mean, the Rockets year after year, it's the same. It's very similar, actually, to the Sixers. In my opinion, they are the Sixers of the West. Year after year, they have this playoff run. We have all these high expectations coming into the playoffs. They're a sleeper. They're a team that's going to come out of the West. They're a team that can benefit most from the bubble and all these other things, all these high expectations. And every single year, the Rockets do the exact same thing. Whereas the Thunder, if you rewind back to the beginning of the season, once Russell Westbrook was no longer with OKC and Chris Paul was the new face of the franchise, everybody wrote them off. They assumed they would just be middle of the barrel and have, you know, an average year. The Thunder have surprised everyone. The Thunder are here when nobody expected them to even be here. And I think that's a lot on the fact that they have such a calm, cool, and collected leader in CP3 that he is, he is taking this team to new heights. And as you mentioned, there are zero expectations for the Thunder. They made it and have exceeded all expectations that anyone yeah, like, would have had for them coming in. So at this point, they can just play. And I think Chris Paul, being the veteran that he is, being the all-star, being the you know, State Farm assist leading player on the court. Um, he's really showing that because he's they're they're going based on their leadership. Whereas right now for the Rockets, who is that guy? Russell Westbrook's still working back from his quad injury. James Harden is James Harden. You know, Mike D'Antoni doesn't say much. I don't know that they have someone that's saying, hey, look, let's focus. Focus on this, you know, that's instructing them, that's keeping them level-headed. Right now it just seems like they're just all over the place. And Unfortunately, I think that's something that, along with those turnovers, it all goes hand in hand that could lead OKC to winning this game. Yeah, no, I think that you, you nailed it. I think it really comes down to kind of that side of things. And if Houston gets that right and like doesn't turn the ball over, they're there mentally. Right. Like they, they should win. They're the better team, at least on paper. But also, I don't want to count out Chris Paul and this sort of thing. Also, Eric Gordon has got to give you something more than he gave you in game six if you're the Houston Rockets. Nine points on 12 shots, three of 12 shooting. Like, that is not going to do it. In in 35 minutes, like, that is just such a negative out there on the court that's killing them. But also, they don't really have, like, anyone else they can give a ton of those minutes to. So I don't necessarily know what they've got to do. So it's just kind of one of those things where it's like, he's just got to shoot a little bit better and they can win this game. Like, it was 104-100. And I don't think Houston played particularly well, and they were right in it until the very end, which means if you just tighten it up a little bit, I don't know. They should be able to win. I, you mentioned uh, 2018 when Chris Paul was out and the Houston Rockets lost that game mm-hmm. seven. That was the last game seven that they played in. I'm sure Chris Paul is hoping history repeats itself where game seven Houston Rockets don't have Chris Paul and they <laughs> lose. I like that. I like that. You know, I I do think, as you mentioned, um, when you look across these two rosters, that's a big part of what we're seeing. Like you look at someone like Gildress Alexander and uh, Dort for OKC. Of course, Steven Steven Adams, you always know what you're going to get from him. Even Gallinari. They have these underdog mentalities that they're bringing to the floor where they're out to prove something. And for the Rockets right now, I mean, if they're not shooting well from the floor because they're going to keep shooting, whether they're going in or not. You know, that in itself is something that they don't really they don't really adjust. 
they are very they're very predictable they're very uh straightforward they have better in terms of the talent of course with having James Harden and, and Russell Westbrook on paper they should be able to win but I think as you mentioned it's going to come down to if this game is closed down the stretch and it's a matter of you know staying level-headed playing smart not making any careless turnovers or, or errors taking smart shots I mean we see Houston a lot of times go down and it's a one one shot possession where someone mm-hmm taking a shot and there's no one even in the paint to even contend for the rebound. So I yeah. think it's going to be the little things that would be the difference if this game is close. If if Houston comes out and they're knocking down shots, Eric Gordon gets going, PJ Tucker gets going, um Rob Coe gets going, you know, then I think it's a different game, but it's really a lot dependent on what Houston brings to the floor because we know kind of what to expect from OKC. Yeah, I think that's a fair way to look at it. Look, it doesn't get much better than this. So I'm excited. I hope everyone listening is excited. Yes. <laughs> and it's going to be a lot of fun. Two, game sevens and back-to-back games, or back-to-back days, doesn't get much better than that. It's good as, as good of a place to stop as any for the Wednesday edition of Locked on NBA. Big thank you to Built Bar for sponsoring today's show. Head over to BuiltBar.com. Use promo code Locked On for $10 off your order. Um, on Wednesday, I'm your co-host Jake Madison at Nola Jake on Twitter and the host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. Renee Washington here, host of Locked On Wizards at Renee P. Wash. And you can follow at Locked On Wizards on Twitter. And Jake, thanks for letting me join you here on Locked On NBA to break down all the excitement around the playoffs. Goodness, this is exactly what we knew the playoffs were going to be like back <laughs> when they first got started. But yeah, I don't think they expected you, all of this. <laughs> this is a lot over two days, but I, I'm thrilled to have it here so everyone enjoy the game thank you all for listening we'll be back with you all next week